You know what time it is? Time for another episode of the Jungle Gyms Podcast. Oh, we got a juicy one for you today here. I love breaking the food chain, which is why I love getting the chance to talk with big produce players. Like this week's guest, Indianapolis Fruit. I bet you can guess where they're from. But before we get into all that, you know what time it is. This is the part where I ask you for a review. Now, we missed our we missed our March window. I didn't hit 100 uh, reviews. I'm not going to say I'm not a little disappointed, but... If you're listening right now and you haven't given us a review yet on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it'd be really cool if you did because reviews are how people find great new shows like the Jungle Gyms podcast. And I feel like if you're listening, you want me to succeed. Thank you for that. Now, I also love taking feedback from people. So if there's something you want to hear on the show or want to talk about on the show or, you know, maybe just a question or complaint, whatever, any of those hard sounding words, question, complaint, thought that's not one uh but you can email me at podcast at junglegyms.com or maybe more importantly and this is about to be a segue you can call me at country code one area code 513-674-6855 and guess what i got my first call from pretty far away uh i won't spoil it i'll let them actually spoil it here but it came from all the way across the country i'm pretty excited about this so first off you all should, this is how you get on the show, folks. This is a really easy way to do it. Just call and leave me a little voicemail. So on that, check this one out. Hey, Jungle Gems, how you doing? My name is Michael. I live out in sunshiny Southern California, and I came across this podcast on my Spotify. I got to tell you, this stuff's great. Uh, Jungle Gems actually makes, uh, it sounds like a cool place. It looks like a cool place from what I've seen. And who would have thought that a grocery store would make someone from Southern California want to come visit Cincinnati, Ohio? Uh, it's informative. The host, Mark, is funny as all get up. Uh, he's got a great personality, great character. He does awesome stunts. The, the chili bath, I don't know what that was about, but it looked like fanatics were all over the place there. So good stuff. But I just wanted to call in real quick and say, hey, big fan of the show. Found you guys on Spotify. Love what you guys are doing. And uh, keep up the good work. And hopefully we'll all stop in sometime and see you guys. Take care. Thank you so much for calling in and leaving a voicemail on the show. I love that feature. I love being able to share that stuff. And you know what? Maybe we can trade places sometime. I'll come to California. You can come host the show here in Cincinnati. You know, you name it. And uh, you know what? I'll say this on behalf of other Cincinnati residents, and I think you all will back me up on this, but our town's gotten pretty great over the last few years. Like, I get it. You're in California. California's very cool. Lots of culture there, but we're growing, you know, especially for a Midwest place. We've got a great food scene here. We've obviously got Jungle Gyms. We've got a great beer scene if you're into that. There's so many opportunities here, and guess what? Rent is still pretty affordable, so I feel like we could argue about that, California, but I won't right now because I love you, too. So seriously, jokes aside, thank you so much for calling in. We've got more fun stuff like that. Now, before I dive into the main interview here this week, we went kind of viral on TikTok this week. So we started a TikTok account for Jungle Gym. So if you're into TikTok or just scrolling at things, you can follow us on there at Jungle Gym's Market. And we do all kinds of stuff on there. I'm doing some short form stuff. Um, 
you know, segments that you'll later see on the show in full video and all that kind of stuff, as well as just little teaser clips and other fun things. So if you want to get a, you know, a short taste of the Jungle Gyms experience, I highly recommend you check that out. And I promise this in a few TikToks, so I'm sure this will be a standardized thing in the future. But we, we, our first post that went pretty viral was about the brand new product from Pepsi, uh, their new Nitro Pepsi. So what it means is most sodas use carbonation, carbon, right? That's in the name, uh, to provide, well, the aforementioned carbonation to the soda, right? It's what gives it the bubbles and that crispness. However, there's been a big movement in the last few years. You've probably seen it sometimes in the beer world. My first experience with it was in the coffee world, but a lot of brands are doing these nitro pours, so they use uh, nitrogen instead to pour the product and give it its uh, characteristic taste, and not taste rather so much as maybe mouthfeel would be a good word. But uh, so Pepsi's done the same thing, and it's, it's a really interesting interesting product i'll say that i uh of the two flavors i preferred the vanilla pepsi and that was what i promised to tell everybody from tiktok but it comes in two flavors standard pepsi vanilla pepsi it ends up making the beverage overall almost taste a little thicker and creamier but be warned it is not going to have the traditional carbonation that you might expect from a soda so keep that in mind when you try it for me I liked it, but I will say the main reason I drink soda is first and foremost for the carbonation, secondarily for the flavor. So, you know, whatever that means. I still had fun with it. I always love getting to try these new products. So a huge shout out to Pepsi and all of that fun stuff. And guess what? You're going to see way more cool stuff like that, too. You may have seen the uh, Flame and Mountain Dew review, another Pepsi-adjacent product on the show. So hopefully it's not all Pepsi. I, if anyone's out there listening and they're like, you know, Mark, I've got a product. I'd love to see it on your TikTok, whatever. Again, podcast at junglegyms.com. Shoot me an email. Drop me a line. Leave me a voicemail. Maybe you can just tell. Maybe you can reach out directly to the audience through this. Wouldn't that be fun? I think it would be fun. Well, before I go too far under the uh, rambling end of the show, I just want to dive right into this Indianapolis fruit. I find it fascinating to learn so much about the world of produce. Like, we've learned so many little things in the short amount of time I've already been here. And a great uh, little uh, tip, I, or not tip, but uh, factoid I learned recently is that did you know to grow one watermelon, it takes about 100 gallons of water? Just think about that for a second. Think about what 100 gallons of water, like imagine a gallon jug of water and then add 99 more of those and then know that it's only going to make effectively the size of maybe two gallons of water as a fruit. That kind of blew my mind. But there's all kinds of things about the world of produce that we just don't know as consumers. If you're like me, look, I've been the average consumer for a long time time of my life. I enjoy food. I enjoy learning about it, which is why I'm here telling you all about it. But there's all kinds of fun stuff that we can learn there. So I had the opportunity to, uh, thanks to AJ, the uh, he keeps making me call him the king of produce, which is crazy, but I let it slide. And uh, he was kind enough to bring in another big player in the produce game. Uh, and I'll let them tell you all about that. So let me, in the meantime, welcome Ross and Daniel from Indianapolis Fruit. All right, folks, in the WJJI studio today, we've got with us, AJ is back again. This is, we can't decide if this is your third or fourth appearance on the show. Probably the third or fourth. Okay. Probably a, third, yeah. That sounds good. We'll, we'll reach out to the audience to let us know. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're there for, to tell us when we're wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, as well as Ross and Daniel from Indie Fruits. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Glad to be here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm super excited about this. I... Actually, Ross, you gave me, you set me up really nicely before the show started and you were talking about just how people don't know much about the produce world, which is why I think this is fun that we get to do this because guess what? 
I'm people, and I don't know anything about the produce world, really, <laughs> realistically. So why don't you guys start off by telling me a little bit about the company and what you all do? Perfect. I'll let Daniel go to that. Yeah, so Indianapolis Fruit's been in the produce business since 1947. We started out on the Indianapolis Produce Terminal, which no longer exists, but there are some produce terminals in and around the country, and some still in the Midwest today. Really became the company that we are in the mid-80s, moved into a real distribution center, and have since grown our footprint to uh, 20 states. We carry about 3,500 items. Our main business is fresh produce distribution to grocery stores, and we also carry some complimentary items that are dry or ambient as well. We do floral, things like that. That's cool. Uh, you mentioned a produce terminal. Is that something like the bottoms that we heard about in the past, AJ? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So, so one of the things that's so interesting to me in my short time I've been here learning about the produce game is that that world has changed pretty dramatically it feels like over the last couple of years am i right in saying that oh, yeah. yeah i think it's changing every day oh. you know it's changed dramatically <laughs> the last couple of years there are a lot of components that are still the same right it's still a lot about you know the core values and what you look for and who you work with and what you buy from them mm -hmm. however the complexity and what it takes to buy correctly and to get things from point a to point b and the consumer being a lot more dynamic right. it, it's a much more nuanced business than it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's, you know, and AJ can probably speak to this, Ross can as well. I think that's why we all love it is because as soon as we think we have it figured out, we realize we actually don't know shit. That's cool. <laughs> that's like a new wrinkle in the, in the process. I yeah. love that too. What are some of the challenges or things that you all have run into recently that you're kind of adjusting for? Well, the whole, the whole supply chain has definitely changed throughout this pandemic and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone can take for granted about going into a grocery store prior to the pandemic and the shelves would be full. You know, you could get an orange any time of the year. You know, I think people realize now that, you know, things are a little bit more challenged and, you know, there is seasonality to produce. Right. There is its peaks and there are the times where it's got the most flavor. And, you know, speaking from kind of my past in produce, it's always been the fun part of it is, you know, strawberry today may not taste the same as a strawberry tomorrow, but, hmm. you know, it's, it's flavorful and, and it's talking and educating the consumer about, when is the best time to have it and, you know, really to put it on the plate a lot then, you know, and that's what, I, that's what we always love about coming here to Jungle Gyms is there's such a diverse assortment of produce. I mean, you know, whether you are international or not, you know, you can get all sorts of delicious fresh fruits and veggies every day. It is kind of crazy. And I, I mean, a huge testament to you too, AJ, on that one. I have a, it's nothing that I've done specifically. It is my team. I've got an amazing team back there. I thought he's going to hear me rolling my eyes. I'm like, you're involved too. Yeah. But no, I think you really do an amazing team. And I, I, I find it so interesting because I never came from the grocery or the produce world or anything. So for me, it's a constant learning experience. Like I'm just wading into this pool of weird things I can eat, which is exciting to me. Well, if it makes you feel any better, even if you came from the grocery or produce world, it's still a constant learning experience. <laughs> well, it's like the white strawberries out there, you know, that you yeah. see it's like educating people like, no, that's not, that's not an unripe strawberry. It's a white you know right and it's supposed to be that way and you want to find the red seeds on the outside that have the most color that's what's going to give you the most flavor and stuff and i love that uh, and actually you mentioned educating the customer and here's a something that just came to mind what is like what would you all say is one of the best ways to educate the customer i mean do you all have any practices in mind or well prior to COVID it was always being out on the sales floor. And as AJ did to us earlier today, it's having the knife and letting someone just try it right then and there yeah. and getting to experience it. And then they're like, holy crap, that was amazing. I'm filling my bag with that item right. because it was just awesome experience. And, you know, since then, a lot of things have had to pivot, pivot digital, 
And I think, you know, it's, it's been what we've had to do in this world we're in, but I'm excited to see some, you know, of that in-person sampling again happening because that's the best way that you can tell the produce story is by that experience right then and there with a touch in the lips, tingling the taste buds and just uh, hitting those senses. Uh, if you'd like in the future, Ross, I'd like to bring you places with me so you could describe <laughs> the eating experience for me. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what's gotten me into the industry. You know, it's the, the color. You know, you, you attract people to produce with their eyes and the mm -hmm. color and the break. And then it's the taste buds that get them to get that item and remember it. You know, we're at the tail end of sumo season. You know, AJ's got an awesome uh, sumo display out there and it's getting people to remember that item and then next year when it comes into play they're like i had that last year it was awesome and you know you got that nice display and i've been waiting six months for that item to hit the shelves again that's so cool like a little exclusivity you know well and with the seasonality of produce i do tend to find things available more frequently i mean are there how does that even work i mean and maybe that's a dumb way to ask that question no, but it, there's been a lot of investment all over the world, mm -hmm. you know, there are, you know, not many places across the world are alike, but there are enough like conditions that brands, companies, organizations realized that they could replicate growing conditions and replicate processes and mechanization opportunities so that they could profitably produce items in different hemispheres or different climates counter seasonally. Mm -hmm. So because of that, the American consumer has been able to enjoy certain items for a 10 or a 12 month period where traditionally they're only grown domestically for four or six. Oh, you know, a great example for us is one of the things that we do is we do a, a really big New Zealand cherry program. Uh, and those are six, eight week. That's it. They're, they're available for a really? very short wow. time. They fly them in from New Zealand uh, into <laughs> Chicago. They pick them on Friday. They're on a plane on Saturday. They're in our warehouse on Monday night and we're, they're out the door. So you think about it as a consumer, there's just a, there's, it's not a lack of appreciation. I think it's just a naiveness that sure. a lot of consumers have. They don't realize the story or the trap, you know, I watch all these travel shows on TV yeah. and it's amazing to see what people do. It'd be hilarious if they actually followed the food around the world to see where it went, what it did, what happened to it, who touched it, how it got there, some of the challenges and the journeys and the diversions. You think flying standby is bad. Try being an import plum. You know, it's, it, yeah. it, it, Sitting on a boat or, for two months. Or a ch yeah, Chilean blueberry as we're finishing up that season right now. Really? I don't know. if you, Have you guys seen the Gordon Ramsay Uncharted on the Nature Channel about his... I've you know, not watched the show, but I'm familiar with that, his existence. I, that's really he just yells at me. me too much. I'm scared. <laughs> I, he, I, he's, I don't. He, I just scared to look at the guy. <laughs> but you know, he goes and explores, and then has to cook a dish. That I mean, and it, it's cool how how that highlights you know what a big planet we're on. You know, yeah. It's so many, I mean, I hear heard New Zealand cherries. I was like, oh, is that where they come from? You know, or I guess a specific one, but. Yeah. Incredibly interesting to me. And now I, <laughs> you painted such an image in my head where I'm like, all right, so there's like a tree flying coach right now and they're picking <laughs> it. But I think you're right. I think that would be a really interesting show in general just to follow that. Maybe that's a future episode of this show. Yeah. I mean, you Netflix know? has done a fair share of food documentaries. There's Rotten. There's a couple other ones. I don't, you know, I've, I've probably watched more than I care to admit, but I don't remember the names of them all. <laughs> they all have single uh, word names. Right. Exactly. But, but really the moral of the story is we're very fortunate as a consumer consumer base to have access to the mm -hmm. amount of items and fresh fruits and vegetables that we have access to as often as we do. Uh, the United States has the infrastructure to import products 
in the mass that we do. A lot of countries can't, so they may have access to them, but their infrastructure can't support getting them those items in big enough quantities to feed their population. So the American consumer, as much as they like to complain and talk about how challenging it is, the American consumer has by far the, the best opportunity to experience you know, a food renaissance on a daily basis that yeah. most people in the world don't get to in their entire life. I love that, a food renaissance. Well, I feel like that's got to be kind of appealing to work with a place like Jungle Gyms on that regard too then, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was talking to AJ out on the sales floor a little bit. You know, there are com- we, I come here to learn. There are things that we do, and, and we work with 550 grocery stores in 20 states, mm-hmm. and I come here to really get the envelope pushed and to get my creative juices flowing and to see some things and go, huh, why aren't we doing that? Or are some of the customers that we have that are maybe a little less progressive or more difficult to get them on board with being on the edge of what's popular and not popular and really get them to think about the business in the way that this team here does? That's really cool. That's such I, I always love hearing these perspectives from people that aren't here because I'm still, you know, I'm like in that honeymoon phase as I'm, I haven't been here quite a year yet. And I feel like that's the case for me. But it's really wonderful to me to hear that that's the case for so many other people too, especially people like yourselves who are infinitely more educated in this world than I am. I'm just maybe like, educated oh. in this world, but I don't know that I'm infinitely more educated than most people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of humility at the table today. I appreciate that. Well, and to add on to Daniel's point, I mean, mm-hmm. as we talked prior to the show, it's like, I remember stories of my parents and grandparents about, you know, not having strawberries through the winter months and, right. and things being seasonal. You would, it would leave the grocery store. So that's where, you know, a lot of our grandparents did a lot of the growing in the backyard and, and putting it in cans, and that's how they got by for six months with right. fresh fruits was, was yeah, all the beans. canning and sauce and stuff. You know, well, it's it feels like that is still like having this year round access still feels fairly recent. I mean, I, I I feel like I remember in my youth not finding a lot of stuff year round, and then now it's like I can have guacamole all year round thanks to these <laughs> avocados always being available. I mean, it is kind of crazy to think about and how easy and quick it is to take that for granted. You know. Well, I think I also recently heard an episode where you talk about being a backyard gardener, you know. Uh, yeah, very poor one, but I tried, <laughs> you know. It's based purely out of necessity. But, yeah, the Thai chilies, it was great. You know, and so how many people have gotten gotten away from that because of our accessibility of fruits and vegetables on a year-round scale? <laughs> I think that was literally my story. I was like, I was growing them until I started working at Jungle Gyms, and now I can just walk 20 feet and get yep. them. Yeah. Ah, that's why. Like I was going to say, is it yeah, anything, like you, walk, mile, anything yeah. you walk 20 feet for here? How far away is the bathroom, Mark? I think it's a, about an eighth of a mile yeah. from this. You know, I counted my steps. It's 2,000 around the building. So if you go look at his chili section, you know, right now, it's pretty impressive. So, oh, yeah. You know, oh, the for, dried ones, too. I forgot you guys have mm-hmm. that out there. They're always doing something interesting over there. Well, talk to me a little bit about your product line. What are some, I, I joked with everybody off air, but I'll just tell the audience now because I think this is funny. But I feel like when I meet some of these large produce companies, it's like I'll hear of the brands that you rep and sell, but I have not heard of like the parent company, right? And I was like, these are where conspiracy theories are born to me. There's like some huge company. I'm like, they're who? Oh, they do this product? So in that case, help me feed the conspiracy buffs out there, boys. Yeah, so Indianapolis Fruit, we still get phone calls asking us if we carry vegetables and we still get phone calls asking us if we go outside of Indianapolis, but, but, but we do, uh, we carry about 3,500 active items, give or take probably a third of those are organic. So as that segment of the, of the business has continued to grow, we've really tried to be on the forefront of that. 
brand wise, product line wise, we have our in-house brands, Garden Cut, mm-hmm. it's our processing division. So trying to do the value added piece effectively, which is kind of an evolving space, right? It was really about taking the liability out of the business first for the retailer. Okay. Then it was giving them an opportunity to offer specific items in a convenient manner for the consumer. Sure. And now as some of that in-store productions come back, it's how can we support the lack of labor there and give them maybe some one step less items where they're coming in in larger trays that they can still cup up and do some of their proprietary blends and things like that. So we're really proud of our in-house brands. Uh, we're proud of Seabus Fresh. That's our USDA kitchen that we have that okay. does sandwiches, wraps, and salads. And then everything that you see in the produce department from some of the premier brands like Organic Girl or Dole or Chiquita or okay. Mission Avocados. And then all of the beverage lines that people are, as as I would like to say, my wife, she likes to consume her fruits and vegetables in a juice. Sure. So that category continues to evolve. I'm sure AJ can attest to the amount of, you know, fresh, cold, pressed juice oh. options that get pitched to you guys on Luckily a regular for basis. Us, most of that's in natural foods. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but it speaks to the consumer, right? I mean, yeah. everybody wants vegetables. They just all want them in a different way. Sure. And as an industry for us, we want to support that. And we want to make sure that however the consumer wants to apply that eating habit to their diet, we want to be there to support them in that manner because ultimately a healthier consumer is better for business. Yeah, it's like healthy and educated. Mm-hmm. Can't get better than that, I don't think. Allegedly. I will say that your garden cut program, your facility is incredibly pr- impressive. I mean, it is, It is as, you, as soon as you walk in, I mean, it's a state-of-the-art facility that uh, is immaculate in every sense of the word and the stuff that you guys do like the mangoes like trying to educate people to to give them an option that they wouldn't necessarily buy a mango because they don't know how to cut a mango but sure you know you're gonna do that at your facility to and put in a prepackaged option so somebody could buy it it's it's a good program yeah we appreciate your support and the garden cut label on the shelves here yeah yeah that's such a cool idea too because i think in an interesting way you get that like you almost get a tactile education. I think that's got to be huge for a lot of people too because, well, I was one of those people for a long time where I was like, I'll buy these pre-cut mangoes because I don't know how to do it. And then eventually I was just like, I'm going to learn this because I want to be smart too. And it's changed everything for me, right? You know, it's something as small as Yeah, that. but, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about how we come here and, and my creative juices get flowing. AJ and his team have chunk dragon fruit out on the floor. Yeah, and Rambutan, yeah. Yeah, Rambutan. And, yeah. and we've talked about, you know, how do we get the energy and the inertia that's behind some of these import and ethnic prop, or excuse me, products. How do we bring that into the value added space, which is also growing at an extremely quick rate, mm-hmm. merge those two together. And do we have something special? Because not only are you trying to educate the consumer on how to eat it, but when, what's it good with? Oh. Do you do that breakfast? Is it a dinner item? Can you sure. juice it? Can you make it in a smoothie? Do you dip it? There's all types of opportunities to continue to expand on the consumer understanding where they can apply those items in their in their diet. That's cool too. Uh, you you made uh, said an expression value added space there, and I think I should stop and just be like, what exactly do you mean by that? To be clear, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a tough one to expand on in a specific way, because a lot of people define it differently. But for us, value added is anything that delivers convenience to the consumer. Okay. So it could be microwavable veggies that are fresh in a steam bag. Okay. It could be diced onions because you want to make a chili and you just are not in the mood to cry over that chili. It may be, it just might not be that good. (laughs) Only after Or you've just had an emotional week. You know, you're just not (laughs) into it, right? Or something that comes finished already like a sandwich or a wrap or a salad that, you know, you just 
grab the dressing and off you go. So really it's delivering convenience in a fresh and healthy manner for us and taking the consumer into a space where they can enjoy something they may not have had the energy or the will to produce themselves. Yeah, it's usually the will for me. I was like, <laughs> energy got a lot of it. Is it for chopping? No, it's not like chopping Wednesday, but uh, that's yeah. too funny. It's like, do you want to go home and spend an hour chopping vegetables to make the recipe, or do you just want to grab them pre-done up and... <laughs> Go home and toss it in the pot and start going. Right. At my, I joked always in life, uh, whenever there would be a manual process, that I was like, my life goal is just to be successful enough that I can always buy it with the work already done. I was like, this comes to any form of manual labor. I was like, got a repair in the house? No, that's cool. I'm going to put in some extra hours this week and find somebody that knows what they're doing. That's brilliant. That's, that's one of the best life goals I think I've heard. Yeah, I think it's a good I have, one. I have a friend who plays online poker, and his yeah. life goal was to make more money laying down than anybody else. That's a good one, too. And I was like, damn. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. (laughs) And Las Vegas is like, challenge accepted. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, What kind of fun things do you all have coming down the pipeline? Any, uh, you mentioned... Chilean blueberries, is, was that right? Was that the right location? There's a lot of Chilean. I think last time we talked produce on the show, there was Chilean, there was Chilean stone fruit season. Stone fruit. Almost got me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And you're at the end of that deal, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're at the end. You're about to start, you know, California peaches and cherries and all of that stuff right around the corner. Oh, cool. You know, summer selling, you know, from, for us, May to September is the, is the funnest time because you have all sorts of options, you know, start with the cherries and stone fruit, you know, and then you can move into the hatch chilies and July, end of July and August. A little spice to the table. I know you guys love the chilies here, you know, hot sauce and everything else. So jungle actually bought a hatch chili roaster. Yep. Uh, It's a pepper roaster that I've used a couple times for our festivals here. It's It's, it's fun. Those are fun. I mean, and you get, you get the skin off of those and you know, the intent they're intense in flavor. I mean, I, First time I ever had a hatch chili, I was like, I was not a big pepper chili fan. And that really just kind of turned the corner for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, for the Midwest listeners, May through September is coming up. That's local season. You really start to get into the time of year where you can enjoy some things that are grown a little bit closer to home and you can support your local ecosystem and there's economies a little bit better. And you guys here at Jungle Gyms do a fantastic job of that directly and indirectly through some of your supplier partners. But that goes a long way. And the, the, the American consumer especially is really interested in how their dollar gets repurposed in mm-hmm. their local economy. So when you can tell that story through signage or tell that story through podcasting or whatever other right. media alternatives, it goes a long way to drawing in individuals into the store and, and building basket size as well. Yeah, I, are there certain products or things that are grown in the Midwest that I'm, I, I, I don't know anything, so I'm just like, what comes from this area that I should be aware of? Oh, man, it's a long list. It's probably yeah. longer than most people realize. Yeah, uh, I'm assuming, and I'm sorry to throw you. Yeah, no, like significant that. amount <laughs> like, of, there's a significant amount list. of vegetables, squashes, <laughs> peppers, leaf items, and then you get into the fall, you have, you know, your your Midwest apple programs, Ohio apples, Michigan apples, Illinois apples. I think I, you guys still had some Ohio apples out there today, I think. Uh, no, sure. just bagged that way. <laughs> no, those were Canadian Honeycrisp. There you go. Actually. So, um, but regardless, there's more than the consumer realizes. Um, and for us, it's really the main commodities, really good tomatoes, some really strong leaf items, zucchini squash, yellow squash, hot peppers, colored peppers, green peppers, more of those field-grown farm commodities. Sure. You can't forget about the sweet corn and the watermelon. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, that's why I bring him. He's here to back me up. Mid, Midwest, <laughs> Midwest sweet corn. I mean, the, the flavor is it just as intense. I mean, you can eat it just right off the, the husk, just peel it back and just bite into it. So it's kind of crazy too. Like, cause that's even something I've really noticed the change in quality in my own lifetime where I'm like, Oh, I remember when that was not, it was a gamble and now it's never a gamble. Now it's just like, is it available? I remember starting in a grocery store and, uh, you know, I was, I was new to the grocery store and produce department and customers like, Hey, what's the, what's the sweet corn taste like? And my produce manager, I saw, I went to go ask my manager and he comes back, he goes, here, I'll show you. And he pulls one back and just bit right into it raw. And I'm like, okay, that's intense. That's how we check in our corn. Uh, Obviously we're going to be buying it from uh, Michael farms directly. Yep. uh, In Ohio. Um, But what we do as far as our local program goes, um, we do a lot of stuff with Amish. Um, Amish is huge. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to be starting um, actually a Brown County auction uh, in about three weeks. We're going to be going down there, picking up some hydros first, obviously, and then we're going to transition into some field-grown stuff. But, I mean, we will go to an Amish auction uh, in northern Ohio, and we'll load up a semi-truck, and we'll just yep. bring back everything, peppers, squash, tomatoes, uh, the whole line. Oh, that's amazing. Those are, those are quite... Quite the uh, quite the site. I was in uh, I was in a distribution business a couple weeks ago that is in one of the old terminal markets in the Midwest, and they still had the huge theater where they used to host the auctions. Oh wow! Yeah. So where the guys would bring all their stuff and they'd get up on stage, and it reminded me of a college lecture hall. Right. But you just see somebody up there hawking. I got asparagus. Asparagus five, five, seven, seven. You'll do eight. You'll do eight. And, but but it really is a phenomenal experience and and a great way to to bring some of those products to market. And it also tells a story too. Like what, for me, like when I'm stocking, you know, the tomatoes, I can be like, yeah, I bought these, and you know, this person over here wanted them for five dollars, but I bet six dollars, and I got them for you know, it's, it's part <laughs> yeah. of the story too. Wow, that's got to be kind of exciting too. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's funny to me because, you know, again, I, I keep going back to that kind of uneducated consumer where I'm just sort of guessing. I'm like, all right, I'm assuming you just put in an order form and then shit shows up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I love the idea that it's like, no, you're going to an auction house, you're bidding, there's somebody screaming at you from the stage about asparagus, for example. I, I'm almost at a loss for words because now I'm like, I think I got to go see that. Kind of like what Daniel said earlier about the, the ride that produce takes from the field to the store. I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Logistics today is a nightmare as we know it, but like the story of how it goes from farm to table is every situation is different, but it's really, really fascinating. Yeah. And the other thing with that is just to double down on that conversation or discussion since we're having it is, yeah, you follow a blueberry in December. It's mm-hmm. way different than if you follow a blueberry in July. People assume that they, they watch some documentary about a blueberry. Well, was it an import blueberry? Was it a locally grown blueberry? Was it a Michigan blueberry? Was it a California? I mean, it, it really is fascinating how quickly it changes mm-hmm. and how different it can be within just one product set. When, and I think expanding on that you know you look at the clementine a lot of people don't even realize that you know that it goes from spain to morocco to california you know even chilean and peruvian and south african people just know it's a clementine and they come in they grab a bag of clementines they're not even half the time i think really aware of where it originated they just want to make sure there's no seeds and it's easy to peel yeah, <laughs> literally, that you are. I am the target is customer. It, is like, it orange? Does it peal easy? Yeah. Are what there seeds? Smell like? Yeah, can exactly. I, can I put it in the kids' lunchbox or you know, their <laughs> snack? I think a lot of people now call uh, oranges clementines. I mean, clementines have become so popular over the past ten years for school uh, yeah. lunches and stuff. Oh, They've yeah. kind of taken over the citrus category yeah, in really a way. Have. That's wild. 
I wonder why, I guess because easy to peel, no seeds. Sure. It's convenience. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and think about the value. I mean, not so much this year. You look at some of the, the input costs have gone up drastically for the farmers. You look at all of the material costs with inflation and the supply chain costs. So fertilizer, I mean, fertilizer, yeah. predominantly you could get a lot more for your money at, you know, three ninety nine or five ninety nine with a three pound bag of clementines versus, you know, a navel orange per se. Right. Um, that's been a little more challenging for the retailer to deliver that value to the customer currently. Sure. But I think that was part of the reason why you saw some of the consumer's dollars migrate so heavily to that category. Makes sense. And I was going to ask you how bad inflation has kind of infected everything. It, it, or not infected, but affected Well, you infected. It's a disease. Yeah, yes, it no, really uh, is. Yeah. There's <laughs> but just, it's uncured. No. Um, <laughs> We're going, this is a political show. Yeah, now. no, 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 please, no. That's I'm the, kidding, yeah. Uh, inflation's tough. And I think it's tough for everybody. And if somebody says it hasn't affected them or their business, they either don't have a good line of sight on their business or they're completely uninformed. For us, it's, it's really a, a multi-pronged discussion. It's affected our suppliers. It's made it more difficult for them to grow and distribute product. It's affected our retail partners because it's harder for them to retain and grow their customer base and their basket size because the value of the dollar has been impacted. And then for us as a business, it's made us really have to consciously on a daily basis think about how we're executing where we're investing time, energy, and monetary support so that we're maximizing everything we can. Right. Um, But it's a challenge, and it will always be a challenge until it's not. And there's not a a one-size-fits-all solution for it. I really think it's going to vary by the type of business you're in, who your customer base is. The one thing that I will say that we've seen that's been a fairly positive trend for our business is – Consumers are more comfortable spending more money for fresh produce than they are for other items. So you might trade down on a canned good to a cheaper price because the brand you want went up 49 cents a can. Right. You're going to spend 49 cents more for a three pound bag of clementines because you really want a three pound bag of clementines. Yeah. So produce departments have a little more pricing power and leverage with the consumer, which is nice because that's the commodity, you know, that's the commodity set that we deal in on a daily basis. I think you're seeing some of that too, because I think as customers in general are starting to gain a little more knowledge across the board, be it from, you know, documentaries on the product or just this kind of, I don't know, it feels like a society wide investment in our intake a little bit. So I I find that incredibly interesting that that's been going on. I think that's really what we're seeing. And do you, do you find that there are certain products affected by this more than other ones? Definitely the ones that have more packaging and everything, you know, because there's more packaging inputs, but then also to elaborate on the whole uh, inflation and in produce, yeah, you know, it's it's basically dying the minute it's harvested or cut or whatever. So right. a lot of the, the pricing is going to be based upon supply and demand. So it's going to be for the industry to keep the demand up so that the pricing can kind of stay with that. You know, obviously, if there's, there's a huge supply, then the demand is going to um, still kind of be constant. So the price is going to go down to keep that supply going. So with produce, you know, it's, it's all going to be about supply and demand and not necessarily where you can get because a farmer is still going to have the same input cost, but it's all going to be based upon throughout the, the whole supply chain. Where, where does that costing uh, rise and fall based upon the demand? So. Yeah, so, so Ross alluded to the packaging, the input cost. Those are affected. So certainly items that have more inputs around them have a higher proficiency to being affected. I think the one overlooked 
effect of inflation is producers are protecting themselves more. So they, if you're producing or growing crops, you traditionally would have a certain percentage of your crop allocated and then the rest you were going to sell on the open market, right? right? Or committed and then you were going to sell some to whoever needed it that week or that month or that quarter, whatever your cycle was. Well, because it's such an unpredictable space now with inflation, the cost to produce, fertilizer costs, you're seeing a lot of these producers not plant a lot of fluff. So once their crop is committed or bought up, there's no excess in the market. So there's going to be more demand exceeds supply right. than there has been previously. So when it's already expensive and then demands exceed supply, it's going to be even more expensive. And so that's what I think is going to get overlooked a little bit is we're already dealing with it today where individuals would have, hey, 20% of my crop every week is uncommitted. Name your price, take it. I just want to make sure it has a home and let's work on it. Yeah. Most of those opportunities don't exist anymore. Wow. Do you think they'll come back? I don't think so. No, because I think what, what people have realized is they can run a much more efficient business. It's hard enough to be in the ag business. If you're imagine. a producer or a farmer, I mean, gosh, it, it's got to be one of the most challenging businesses to run and operate today. And what they've realized is they don't have to have all that extra inventory to get business. They've just got to do what they want to do really, really well. And then when they're done, they're done. And they can probably make as much money, if not more, by being a little efficient. I, I really don't think it's coming back. When you look at diesel, just diesel cost alone to fill a tractor this year versus last year, I mean, they're paying twice. So right there, you know, just uh, to run their tractor for the same point that they did last year, they're already double. So that's definitely going to have an impact on how can they be more efficient? How can they utilize less this year? So, you know, to Daniel's point, more farmers are going to go to the point where if it's not sold, they're not going to plant it in the ground. Yeah, there was a great interview. I don't remember which news station it was on, but the I think it's the president of Driscoll's. CNN. And it, it yeah, was on CNN. CNN. And, and if you think about Driscoll's as a brand, everybody knows in fresh produce, right? If you've ever bought strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, you know Driscoll. Yeah. Uh, he said, and, and think about how big of a, of a global organization they are, and they've got to have some pressure on their supply chain. They should be able to navigate it better than most. Their input costs in some areas are up 40 to 100%, he stated on that. In, in that interview. And you think about, well, how does that affect the guy that only grows blueberries in Michigan three months or, you know, for 60 days out of the year? Yeah. It, and if it's, if it's hurting Driscoll that bad, does that individual just get out of the business? Do they pivot? Do they go to a frozen market where they can grow less for retail consumer, you know, eye perfection and start to grow more for, hey, people just want to use this to make smoothies or ice cream or... Sure. And, and so I, the, the supply chain is, is only just starting to transform to what is probably going to be 10 years from now. Wild. I'm kind of glad. I, you know, I joke all the time. I'm like, I'd, I'd like to stop living through historic times if I could. But at the same time, it is kind of interesting to watch it unfold in front of us. Yeah. Wild. And so many consumers just don't realize, you know, how complex everything is. You know, I'm sure AJ can speak more to it because, you know, he sees it every on a daily basis with the whole... Um, international market store here that's just totally impressive if you haven't been here but it, to just to get it from the dock to the shelf I mean even that's complex you know to get a right. tag and, and all, everything else I mean labor costs I mean we were talking about that on the sales floor it's just retaining good people that are subject matter experts you know because so much of the store you need that subject matter expert for that country or that region yeah it's important yeah, I mean, because like some, if you just hire a random body, it's like, what is this like? Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. It's just that they're just a body at that point. Right. You know, and that, yeah. And I, I think that's one of my favorite things about Jungle Gems is that I don't feel like we hire a lot of bodies. I try like, not to. Right. No. You know, I mean, and it happens. It's <laughs> whatever. But no, I mean, I feel like every time I meet anybody here, they always have at least a little bit of a story about a product, which I always find just kind of funny almost. You know, you're not expecting it. Well, most, you know, that's the beauty of the food business, not just grocery, not just distribution, not mm-hmm. just retail. Most people that work in food love food. And so there's this natural desire to learn more about what they work with, why they work with it, and how they can work with it better or in a more in-depth manner. So that's one of the things that I appreciate about the industry more than anything else is you never really run into anybody that either isn't enjoying what they're doing or isn't looking to expand on what they're doing. And I think that's rare for a lot of industries. You hear a lot of people talk about, oh, I want to get out or, oh, I can't figure this out or I don't enjoy it. When you're in the food business, almost everybody you talk to, trust me, they're frustrated at times. There's plenty of reasons to be frustrated. Uh, But that doesn't, they don't start looking at alternatives to that job. They start looking at alternatives to how they're doing that job. And that's a really big, for me, a really big North Star for why this industry and business are enjoyable, despite how challenging it can be. I love that. That's beautiful. It's a good way to put that. I never really thought about it like that, but that's, that's nice. I love it. You know, it takes an art. You know, you look at aisle one over in produce with the amount of effort they do every day to tear down and put the ice. I mean, it's, it takes, it, it's. There's like I mean, a documentary I, in that alone. There, there <laughs> is, but, you know, you, it's, it's produce art. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. yeah, it's that thing. It, it brings us all together. I do like the. I love that you called it art too, because I really do think there truly is an art to this sort of thing. And I am finding that more and more frequently. I agree. I think that people in this industry really they treat it like an art, right? It's like no different than when I want to play guitar. I'm like, I really care about this right now. Yeah. You know? Well, That's somebody true. somebody said it to me, and, and I'm going to steal this, and I forget who told me. So if you're listening, yours if, now. If, if you're listening, and you're like, <laughs> I, I'm the one that did it. Well, just text me. Uh, <laughs> somebody said food is the ultimate binding agent. And you think about bringing people together. Most people, when they're eating, aren't talking, but they're enjoying themselves. Yeah. When you're working on something related to food together, you're doing it together. It's usually not a one-man or one-woman job. So when you think about food in general being the ultimate binding agent, it really is a uniform language. Yeah. It's like, it's the universal uniter, for real. I mean, it brings us all together. We all, everybody likes to eat or, well, has to eat. Yeah. You know, it's the one addiction where if you don't enjoy it, you'll die eventually. <laughs> You know, everyone <laughs> gathers around food. Yeah. Always. Well, look at the U.S. culture. Like we all pretty much just hang out in the kitchen now. Like we have all these other spaces, but everybody's just standing around the kitchen. I know. Yeah. People over. Out. It's like, OK, the kitchen's where everybody's at. Right. You don't, go, not, you don't go to the family room or the sitting room or anywhere else. That's where the food's at. It's where the people are at. Yeah. I'm eating a box of strawberries at 3 a.m. out of the fridge door, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> We uh, need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, whatever happened at two in the morning to make you go strawberries at three in the morning, double down on that. Next week, will you? Well, that's an entirely different grow process. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> um, it's all green. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the, the new world of hydroponics, right? Yeah. Um, Speaking of hydroponics, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of that. I mean, you got 80 acres you know, right out there on that pole. I mean, it's, it's impressive. And there's, there's more people getting into that. And I think as restro- resources with water and land and everything, you know, uh, more of the grower 
side is is looking at that avenue. It seems like that's got to be a big part of the future of this as far as like that probably would reduce a lot of the seasonality and what have you as far as like, all right, well, if you're in a climate controlled interior environment, I feel like that's that's got to be the move, right? For, to a certain extent. For some commodities, I think it works, but you're still going to need that soil for the flavor. And, you know, I see veg being more successful in that category is that's where, you know, you see a lot of those companies going. But mm-hmm. fruits, you're still going to need that soil. You're going to need that air. You're going to need those uh, inputs that you really can't do from a closed atmosphere perspective. Interesting. I didn't the, know that would affect it that much. One of the biggest challenges in that space is the consumer's got to appreciate the technique and the process associated with growing indoors versus growing outdoors. They're both very complex and difficult in their own way. Mm-hmm. Right now, the challenge for a lot of the indoor growers is they're trying to find the best way to do it efficiently from an economic perspective. There's not the same inputs, but the inputs are there and there's a cost associated with those inputs. And mm-hmm. when you see in the marketplace is traditionally slightly more expensive than what you see produced in the field, there's less risk associated with it technically from a food safety perspective in certain brands and programs. Right. So as a consumer, what are you going to gravitate towards? Are you going to gravitate towards something that's a brand that's been around for a long time that you recognize? Are you going to gravitate towards something that's grown X amount of miles away from you that may look a little different or taste a little different, but is, you know, a dollar more expensive? And I don't know that anybody knows the answer to that, but when you think about surety of supply and the supply chain in general being so diverse and challenging and unpredictable, there definitely will continue to be an immense amount of investment in that space. Wow. I mean, it makes sense to me. I feel like, you know, again, I know nothing about agriculture, but in my head, I'm sitting here going, it's got to be consistent to a certain level more so maybe than, because I would imagine like traditional growing methods are kind of a gamble, right? Like, you know, because there's so many things that can affect Mm -hmm. the process that it's like, oh, it didn't rain today and we needed it to, for example, whereas, you know, I could fire up a sprinkler kind of a thing. I don't know. Curious. could probably speak to the success of 80 acres here. I mean, it's absolutely just exploded here at Jungle Gyms, but I mean, 80 acres is locally to this county, the city, Cincinnati, Fairfield, Hamilton. I mean, I'm not sure what 80 acres would do in the Indianapolis market, Um, but as far as hydroponics in general, I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but like, I don't know if you even have to explain what hydroponics is to the consumer, because to them, if they see hydroponically grown or hydro or anything, then to them, I think it clicks that it's cleaner, that it's more consistent. Um, and I think the, it might cost a dollar more. I, I think that that is, um, a, a price that they're willing to pay. Well, now that consumers are dealing with inflation, what we're finding is that that dollar that it was so hard to get out of their pocket for something that was a little more premium or had a little bit more flavor, mm-hmm. they're spending it on things that aren't premium now. So when hopefully inflation does come down and they've figured out how to make that wallet work for them in produce, they can trade up because now right. they are comfortable spending a little bit more on fresh produce, but they can actually get a premium product in return post-inflation versus spending it on the same core item that they may have been buying uh, for a consistent period of time. That's, you know, it's funny. I think I've talked about this before, but my my big like COVID quarantine learning thing was just, I was like, oh, I probably should spend, I should, I was one of the customers where I was like, I'm going to go for the premium stuff now. And I would argue that in the last two years, especially, I mean, I always ate a pretty quality stuff, but in the last few years in particular, like the quality of food I've been taking in, I'm like, yeah, let's go premium. Why not? 
you know, we're not going to be here forever. But, but Do good. But just a question for you as yeah. a general consumer, how much better is the taste and the experience? I would say significantly. Yeah, it, it's and tangible. It's, and it's that thing that, for me at least, you know, you do that kind of dumb thing. You try it and you're like, oh, that is that much better. And, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people are maybe afraid to take the plunge at first. But then once you go, it's like you can't you almost can't look back. You know, I started buying imported meat from Japan and I was just like, uh, why aren't we doing this in the States all the time? And now you're starting to see some of that brands do that. But it was crazy. I kept joking. I was like, you know, if this is the end of the world, I did not think I'd be eating this good during it. But it, no, it's true. And I think it, and produce is a great place to find that too, because it's like spending that little bit extra. I mean, like you said, it's tangible immediately that like the texture of the, I mean, it's like silly little things that you never thought about before. You're like, this strawberry just feels nicer. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, kind of tying it back into the indoor stuff that we talked about yeah. is the yield as a consumer, you know, if you're going to spend $6 on something, are you going to have a longer shelf life to use all that product so that you actually get six full dollars worth of value out of it? Right. Does that indoor grown romaine give you four salads versus three salads? So the, you know, not very many people think of their dollar and their diet in that way. Yeah. But when you break it down, if you're on that side of the table, you're thinking about how can we give the consumer some value that's maybe not sticker value, but what do we get? What do we give them in return? That's a great point too, because that stuff does tend to last significantly longer, especially in the leafy greens. Like that, that's actually was probably one of my biggest finds in that end was like, oh, an aquaponic grow like this is... I mean, it lasted a month in my fridge, whereas sometimes I well, buy something see, else. So that's so yeah. that's great. As a distributor, we don't want it to last a month because we need you to come back and buy it again. So then, yeah. so then we're calling AJ. We're calling AJ. Going, AJ, you haven't bought leafy greens in thirty days. Well, yeah, because the new stuff lasts so long. Mark, Mark never comes back and fills up his cart again. Uh, so there's a middle ground there, right? Good, as an yeah. industry, we right. want the consumer to have longer shelf life and more enjoyable eating experience. We want it to last in their fridge. But we also want them to come back to the grocery store more frequently. Right. Uh, so it's a gamble. Now and, just eat more salads. It's yeah. And, and the system will work. And I think through COVID, we, you know, we've come to realize that people are now shopping less. So that's, that's even more important than it was prior to COVID because people are coming in to the store less. So they're buying a little bit more and they're trying to get a longer time out of it. And another thing that's come about that's good for our industry is people are a little bit more aware of their health and the food for health. Yeah, you know, trying to avoid medicines and everything else. So I think that'll help continue to be a good advocate for our industry as people look to have healthy choices within produce um, as they consider more about their body and the inputs through food. Yeah, I think like going back to what you just said about COVID, you know, during uh, as soon as COVID first happened, I mean, your industry, our industry collectively just kind of exploded. And I think, you know, the average consumer had a little bit of extra money. They had stimulus checks. Right. They weren't going out to eat, and they were willing to spend a little bit more money on that hydroponic, on that organic, um, on that pink pineapple, or on the pine berries. Um, you know, and they were willing to try something that they weren't willing to try before because they weren't going, they were looking for an experience, right? They couldn't go to a restaurant. And I think that's where we kind of excelled in that because we kind of gave them a little, lot more than yeah. the average Kroger. Um, but that, in turn turn into a repeat customer with those specific items. Yeah, so two things that you brought up that I think are really important to, to expand on there is brought in new customers or helped you retain customers that maybe had been dual or try 
well, and market I think, shoppers, right? Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why um, I think we did have such a good job is because your average grocery store went for months without having a lot of stuff on the shelves where we didn't have that problem because we were able to shop around. If you guys didn't have it, we were able to find it somewhere else where, you know, the Meyer or the Kroger, they weren't able to do that. So yeah, the diversity of your guys' supply chain here at Juggle Gyms gives you an opportunity. You don't have your eggs in one basket. You've got multiple meaningful relationships. Um, but, you know, consumer retention, I think was really a big opportunity. We see it in most of our markets that the independent retailer, maybe not as unique as Jungle Gyms, but the independent retailer that had a hard time getting people to not go to the large banner stores, mm -hmm. got that business back during COVID because there were so many supply shortages at the large banner stores. Yeah. And they've been able to retain that business. And that's been big for the tail on their business success. I think in an interesting way, it kind of exposed some of the issues to the consumer that you have in like big box retail a little bit, right? Where you're finding those things where it's like, yeah, we have one company we deal with and if that company doesn't have it, well, neither do you customer. Yeah. Very interesting. And you look, know, as a consumer, you can get a lot of value at a big box retailer. Okay, there's, absolutely. there's, there's yeah. nothing. Yeah. No, 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 uh, no the, lot, I think loss the, of love here. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> I just think it gives you a good eye. It was probably the first time in a long time the consumer saw the value in doing business multiple ways. Right. I thought you were going to say saw a cashier, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had a weird thought while we were talking about this too, is that I, the thing I saw explode, at least in my social network was the, um, what do they call it? Like not the personal shopper that's too antiquated. Uh, but you know, where you'd have like some of the stores that would do the shopping for you, right? Like click list. Yeah, or and Wilma would like to know if you'd like olives, uh, green <laughs> olives because your black olives are not available. Well, and then I started thinking, I was like, I wonder how much of that has at once either created a really good experience for a customer where somebody picked like excellent, you know, part of the reason I could never, I like, I am, I'm an experienced person. So I'm like being in a place like jungle gyms makes so much sense to me. I'm like, I'm touching everything. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. like in that regard, I kept wondering too, I was like, I wonder if it affected adversely people who were trying new things who had just a, a body shopping for them, right? And then they were like, oh, well, is this even worth it? It's like, well, yeah, it is, but yeah, maybe and I think don't that's, trust the 16-year-old kid. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably one of the biggest challenges in fresh purchases migrating to the direct-to-consumer model. Yeah. So you've seen it in Center Store. You've seen it a little bit more in the perimeter departments that aren't produce. But ultimately... Yes, there's a definition and a color scale for bananas. Right. But your yellow may be a little bit different than somebody else's sure, yellow. I'm super color Or what you want, <laughs> what your level of ripeness for an avocado, what you like is a little bit different than somebody else's. And that nuance will never go away. Yeah. And so I think there's positives if you have a really good experience with your personal shopper. <laughs> uh, and there's also, you know, ones where you're cussing out Joey, <laughs> after you get your delivery going, was Joey wearing a blindfold when he picked out these right, bananas? Exactly. Like he said, he said, ripe. He was squeezing all of my bananas. Yeah, to, yeah. You know? uh, and so that, that will someday, that challenge will probably become an opportunity as technology evolves. Right. But right now, that's one of the biggest hurdles that the D2C platforms have to navigate yeah just like send me a picture or something we got phones amazon <laughs> sends me a picture of a box at my door send me a picture of the strawberries you're picking for me actually i think i may have just potentially solved the problem anyway on mark's million dollar ideas here today <laughs> um no all kidding aside well this has been eye-opening guys i really appreciate you coming out and taking the time to do this 
I uh, I think we really should collab on the produce process. I think that would be a really cool piece, especially as we're moving into video content here on a full-time basis. That's the kind yeah. of stuff I like, you know, we use the uh, subtitle of breaking the food chain, but I think that kind of thing would be. It's broken. Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like just tearing it apart. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but I think that would ago. be a really fascinating thing. I'd be really interested in learning something about that. So if there's ever a future opportunity, let's make it happen. Yeah. Exactly. Well, AJ alluded to it. You know, we'd love to have you guys over. You can come over and, and get some uh, media and spend some time with our facility and, and really get a good grab of the distribution side of the business. And then cool. there's a whole nother segment of that where, you know, maybe you can talk these guys into here into sponsoring a trip out West or down South for you to see the fields and things of that nature. I'm sure these guys would, would accompany you on that trip if you wanted cool. to make it. Yeah. I love fields. I love Southwest and West all of the directions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. I really appreciate coming out. This is great. Yeah, Look forward for to next us. time. No, thank yeah. you guys for coming down. Yeah, no, thank you for having us. And uh, we're certainly proud to be working with Jungle Gyms and, and proud to be a part of this podcast. So thank you. Daniel, Ross, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming out. I look forward to coming out to see you all and learning a little bit more about some of the production processes and all that fun stuff. I love these bits because I feel like I learned a lot and I'm hoping that all of you listen learned as much too. And if you didn't, guess what? Podcasts are on demand. You can totally back up and listen again and just see what you missed. But if you have questions, you know, again, you can reach out to me. Podcast at junglegyms.com. I like to be accessible. Well, that was another fun episode. We've got more fun stuff coming down the pipeline. The video show is coming soon. I hope you're ready for that. Now, the audio show will still exist. I'm just letting you know because certain little bits of the format will be tweaked here and there because we want to make sure that I'm playing for both video and audio. But don't be alarmed. You'll still be able to get the podcast this way if you're not really into the YouTube thing. But... Look, if you're anything like me, the only time I listen to the audio-only versions of podcasts is when I'm driving. Otherwise, at home, I'm usually like, put that baby on YouTube in the background. And that way, occasionally, if something's going on, I can look up and go, oh, Tom Segura and Christina Bozitsky are drinking uh, all of Burt Kreischer's gallon of Kool-Aid again type of thing. That's for all the Your Mom's House fans out there. But yeah, uh, it's going to be really cool. I am so thankful for all of you listeners that have stuck with me through this. I'm glad that we can grow and evolve. And I think in the future, one day the emails will be like, Mark, do you remember how quaint it was when you used to send these out this way? And I'll be like, yes, it was only three weeks ago. <laughs> well, on that, I hope you all have a great week. I look forward to hearing from you all next week. Got another great show coming up. Of course. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Tell your friends. Download this stuff. Send us a review. And in the meantime, I'll see you out there in the aisles. The Jungle Gyms podcast is recorded in the WJJI studio inside Jungle Gyms International Market in Fairfield, Ohio. The Jungle Gyms podcast is produced and hosted by Mark Borison.